Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. <laughs> Buckle in, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. That's right. We've undergone some housekeeping, as you probably noticed, due to the absence of Locked on Dolphins episodes throughout the majority of the month of February. His former host, Travis Wingfield, made a successful transition. If you did not see it yesterday, definitely want to plug his new opportunity. Drive Time is now part of the official podcast network of the Miami Dolphins. Very exciting news for Travis. We're stoked for him, and I'm stoked to be here in the captain's chair of Locked On Dolphins. It is 5.45 in the morning on Tuesday, the first day of player and coach availability at the NFL Combine. And it's going to be a long day today. There's going to be a ton of sound bites and clippets and tweets and videos that you're going to see. And it's fine. Just don't, just don't get emotional about it, right? That's, this is, in the draft realm, what we like to call lying season. Everything that you hear at this point in time, even the insiders and the whispers, and that's where we're going to start the show today, All of that comes with the intent of that hitting the public space so that people hear it. Everything is intentional, okay? Including the report that came from Mike Freeman. If you don't know Mike Freeman, he is on social media at Mike Freeman NFL on Twitter. He's NFL columnist for Bleach Report, uh, formerly of the New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe. This guy's seen some stuff in sports media. And um, Mike put out a tweet yesterday, and this is direct quote from Mike Freeman. NFC general manager tells me Dolphins are already extremely active in talking with other teams. Quote, they're shaping up to be among the biggest factors in this draft. As if, by the way, three picks in the first 26 five picks in the first 56, and six picks in the top 70 wasn't already going to make them a factor. But of course, the Dolphins are going to be engaging in conversations with teams, and that statement's pretty vague, right? The ambiguity gives you some leeway to make liberties and assume, you know, is, is it about Tua and the Dolphins with the Lions at three? Is it, you know, Matt Miller suggested that they might be trading up from 18 for another offensive tackle? We don't know. But what we do know is this. The Dolphins are usually that team that gets targeted with leverage plays. They're usually the team that is the victim of teams looking to put things out in the open or get into a bidding war in free agency or they'll use the Dolphins to get what they want in the public space. And this is kind of another example of that, but it's in a, like a good way this time instead of in free agency when 
players are like, yeah, maybe I'll go interview with the Dolphins. And then the team that they really want to sign with calls him up and says, okay, let's quit mess around. We'll give you an extra $2 million onto your contract. This is that case of, you know, perhaps an NFC team that's looking to generate some heat in their trade conversations. Says, well, you know, I know for a fact we've been talking to the Dolphins. And if a team hears that somebody's talking to the Miami Dolphins, it's going to get your attention because the Dolphins, with all the picks that they have, that's going to induce urgency from the other teams because if they feel like there's a chance the Dolphins can come step on their toes in the draft with all their draft capital, they're going to want to get a deal done sooner rather than later. So if there's this really strong standoff between two sides on potential trade conversations, this could break that down a little bit and say, well, hold on. Don't go call the Dolphins, please, because they're going to beat our offers. So let's work together and find a a common uh, goal here to fit. So take it in stride. Don't assume that the Dolphins are going to undergo a Madden franchise offseason. What I mean by that is they're not going to sign everybody. They're not going to trade up in the draft order six times over to end up with three top 10 picks and get rid of all their 2021s, but they are going to be aggressive. And I think that does to the comment that's made anonymously uh, to Mike Freeman, it makes it factual too, but maybe not necessarily in the sense that, you know, someone would have put this out in the public space to accomplish something with. They are going to be the biggest factor in the draft. They are the team of the 2020 NFL draft already. We haven't had comp picks announced yet, and this team has a dozen picks. It's nuts. If you stop and think about, you know, they've they've got a bunch of fifth-round capital. They've got a four in compensatory picks. This team should expect double-digit players from this draft class to comprise their 53-man roster to start the season next year. Over That's over 20% of the roster is going to be rookies this year. And, oh, by the way, two ones and two twos already next year, never mind what else they pull out of their hat this year, to build forward. So that is the line that Chris Greer's got to walk and I'm really fascinated to hear what he has to say. He will be speaking. Uh, Brian Flores will also be speaking. Uh, Flores has a formal podium session at 11 a.m., so if you're on social media, keep your eyes peeled for that uh, because it should be the fr- it, it will be the first chance we get Brian in a formal setting since that exit interview that he and Chris Greer did together at the end of the season. And there's obviously been a lot of coaching staff changes. There have been a lot of administrative changes. And the Dolphins are continuing to posture themselves. We went through the Senior Bowl already since the last time we got a chance to to speak with both of these guys. This process is long. This process can be tiresome, the NFL draft process. But we're moving along pretty steadily. And after this week, you're going to have pro days, 
top 30 visits. And other than that, we're going to have the major data points that we need for these teams to start making some decisions. And that point about being ready to make some decisions, I think is an important thing for us to take a few minutes to talk about on this show. Because as the Dolphins start to make some decisions, this fan base specifically, this Dolphins fan base, I understand why, but this team has spurned the fans and burned the fans so many times in the last 10, 15 years that it's very hard, based on what I see, for the fans to trust anything that the team does because they're just going to expect it to blow up in Miami's face because there's literally an entire generation of Miami Dolphins fans that knows nothing other than self-implosion Dolphins. Signing Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. Not drafting a quarterback in the years that they were in prime position to target a quarterback and, and upgrade over Ryan Tannehill. The late season collapses in December every year. Here's looking at you, Adam Gase, 2018. Here's looking at you, Joe Philbin. Like every year, Joe was the head coach. I understand you've been hurt by this team, but you, as a fan, are setting yourselves up for a tough offseason and a big letdown if you're going to marry yourselves to a single outcome, in my opinion. And I wrote about this yesterday for Dolphins Wire, uh, which is, uh, I'm the managing editor at USA Today's Dolphins Wire. If you have one acceptable outcome with all these different possibilities and all of these different picks, and however the Dolphins choose to attack it, if there's only one right way in your mind for this Dolphins rebuild to proceed, whether that's centered around an individual player, any player, guys, any player as an individual, I'd really struggle because I would rather take the field. So if we want to swing this to a quarterback's discussion, I love Tua Tunga Viola. His on-the-field product is excellent. But if the Dolphins chose to go get Justin Herbert instead at five and keep their picks, that can be a, a good thing too. And I know Tua has been the name that has been hammered in everybody's head for 12 months now, 12 plus months now. And I understand why. But but this dynamic has changed where maybe it's the medical component scares them off. Maybe the cost is too high. Maybe the Carolina Panthers want to get really crazy and trade their next four years worth of first-round picks. If that were the case, and the Dolphins said, no thank you, if you were a to a supporter, would you be disappointed? Would the draft have been a failure? Is the, is the rebuild doomed to fail 
because the Dolphins said, no, we're not going to give you four first-round picks to trade up two or three spots, you guys. It's the sum of all the parts together. And I think that perspective in team building, with the work that I do for the Draft Network, team building, asset collection, being selectively aggressive with your assets and making sure you're able to replace them, it's a really important piece of the puzzle. And the Dolphins got rid of pieces to this puzzle. Laramie Tunsil, Minka Fitzpatrick, big pieces of this puzzle that were drafted within the last four years at this point. Tunsil had issues with, uh, with holding this year, penalties, but made the Pro Bowl for the first time, which of course he did. If any player, I don't care how bad he plays, if any player gets traded for two first-round picks on the offensive line, everybody know who's that, knows who that guy is all of a sudden. He's making the Pro Bowl next year, guaranteed, just based off the trade value that he had. Make a Fitzpatrick, which, of course, that's a whole other can of worms. I haven't spoke about that on Locked On Dolphins being my second day on the job. But Make a Fitzpatrick, I think the Dolphins will be better off without in the long run based on the comments that he's made this postseason after, oh, I love playing in Pittsburgh where I get to be the free safety. And then all of a sudden we get to the end of the season and Pittsburgh loses and misses the playoffs. And, oh, I probably should have been moved around a little bit more. I'd like to see the Steelers move me around a little bit. Like, hello, Minka. That's what we were already trying to do with you. But that's not what we're here talking about right now. We are here right now talking about the Dolphins are going to make their decisions. And I think this organization, based on how they've operated for the last 12 months versus how they operated for 10 years before that, they deserve a little bit of faith. I'm not telling you to be a blind Dolphins zombie fan and everything they do is perfect and everything's going to be rainbows and sunshines and unicorn farts and that's going to be awesome. We're we're going to Super Bowl in two years. No questions asked. Every pick's going to hit. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be missteps along the way, miscalculations. But the Dolphins have positioned themselves to have flexibility, to pivot as they need to, to react to their team-building process as it evolves based on the decisions that they make. And this is a comment that I've made before. I make it a lot uh, on the Draft Dudes podcast, and I make, make it comments regarding this uh, on the draftnetwork.com with some of my written stuff. The Arizona Cardinals have completely debunked the idea that if you swing and miss on a quarterback, it's going to cripple your franchise. It's not. The Dolphins drafting Ryan Tannehill did not set their franchise back seven years. Eight years, technically, if you include the rebuild year. It didn't. They picked the quarterback. He had promising development through the first three seasons. He plateaued. He got hurt. He dropped off because you couldn't build around him. But if you felt after year one or year two that Ryan Tannehill was not the guy, and you want a guy who is the guy. He's got the intangibles to uh, improve the play of everybody around him and uplift all his teammates 
and doesn't need a good offensive line to be successful and makes plays outside of structure with consistency. If that's your definition of the guy, you can see that pretty quick. And the worst thing you can do is double down on that decision because you made the decision based off a high investment price. Perfect example is right now what the Dolphins would be doing with Josh Rosen. Well, we kind of have to give Josh a chance. We traded a 2 for him. We don't want to have egg on our face. No, they don't care. They don't care. And the reason why they don't care is because the cost of what it took to get Josh, which was a late second-round pick, and no guaranteed money off his rookie contract, that cost is mitigated. It makes it easier to break it off. But the Cardinals just did it with Rosen the year before. They took him 10th. This was the 10th player in the draft. And the very next year, they were so bad, they had the top pick, and they took a quarterback again. And you know what? They're going to come out of it on the other side, and Josh Rosen was worth probably $10 million in dead cap against their salary cap this year. And they're going to move on like it never happened. And they've got a franchise quarterback in Kyler Murray, who had a good rookie season. So even if it comes down to a quarterback decision and the Dolphins go a direction that maybe isn't your first choice, it's not doomed to fail because there's a lot of different ways this can look. And that is the most important shift and change that the Dolphins organization and management from a football operations perspective has made in the last 12 months versus what they did for the last decade plus. They're not up against the salary cap and pushed up and deferring contracts to next year. They got $90 million in cap space. If they got to cut a guy after 18 games because the free from any free agency signing perspective, it's not going to work, and they got to swallow an extra $8 million in dead cap for that year and have $18 million in dead cap, who cares? They can move on. It's expensive mistakes to make, but you're going to have to swing the bat. And it's the same thing in the draft, in the quarterback position. They could take, hypothetically, Justin Herbert at five. Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt. Herbert comes in. He plays terrible. The Dolphins go three and 13. They've got the second overall pick you're talking about potentially in a decision where you could draft probably not trevor lawrence unless the team in front of you doesn't need a quarterback in which case you you give what you need to, to do a pick swap and move from two to one or justin fields from ohio state is another potential candidate it's gonna be on there on the table for you it's are you gonna have too much of an ego Because you made this pick. This pick is supposed to work. I don't want to look bad because the pick doesn't work and I don't want to give up on the player. Again, it's the the tightrope thing that we were talking about with the Dolphins and their balance and how aggressive they want to be in this year's draft. It extends to the entire team-building process. you got to walk that fine line. And I'm not endorsing, you know, let's be haphazard about draft picks because we've got so many we can just throw them away. And, and replace him. But the flexibility and the mentality that the Dolphins have illustrated gives me, when paired with the work that the coaching staff did, how well the players have developed under the watchful eye 
of Brian Flores throughout the course of the 2019 season and how those players came along has me optimistic that they might choose players that aren't going to be my top choice. But because of the team's flexibility and their orientation in player development and the early results that we've seen from that player development standpoint and team culture perspective here in Miami, I'm ready. I'm ready for any kind of direction that the Dolphins should choose to go. And I'll find optimism and excitement about it. I'm not going to be blind with my faith in the team. But I will be optimistic because this coaching staff and this front office has given us reasons to be so. Coming down the home stretch here for my second career episode of Locked on Dolphins. Having a good time so far. Got some great feedback yesterday, and I want to thank everybody who took the time to listen to the first show of this week or today's Tuesday episode if you're listening at home, on the road, in the gym, wherever you are. A couple quick takes to bring us home here before I got to jet over to the convention center here in Indianapolis for uh, the first rounds of, of player availabilities, uh, quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends today. So looking forward to hopefully getting as much time at each of the quarterback podiums as possible. Uh, if you're not in Indianapolis, you've never been to Indianapolis, the way that it works from a player availability perspective is there's eight podiums in a convention hall. And each one of those podiums is numbered. There's a, a spreadsheet that says this time, this podium, this player. They'll typically send all the quarterbacks out together. I'm anticipating two separate. They'll split it in half. You might get Tua and Burrow in one round. You might get Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm in another round. So I can't guarantee I'm going to get all of them, but I'm going to do my best to get some good questions and sound bites and, and ask these guys Dolphins-related or spun questions because I think you can get some some pretty fun opportunities to draw and connect between the lines uh, as far as these players' experiences and knowing a little bit about what we know the Dolphins coaching staff and front office is looking for in certain players at certain positions. So uh, that's my day today. Cameron Wolf from ESPN uh, contributed to an article asking uh, fantasy football-related questions for uh, each of the 32 teams in the NFL. And the, the question specifically for the Dolphins was centered around, will we see Mike Gusecki's progress stalled in this new offense with Chan Gailey? Because the Chad O'Shea Patriot-style offense was obviously very oriented and focused around the tight ends. You know, the Patriots have been using tight ends at a higher frequency rate than most teams in the NFL for 10 years now. And Gasecki turned the corner because the Dolphins magically decided it would be a good idea to not use a guy who was never in pass protection in pass pro in 22% of his reps, like Adam Gase did in his rookie season. And they used him flexed out into the slot. He was detached from formations. And I think Ryan Smith, who works for Pro Football Focus, listed it was it was close to three quarters of his snaps 
in 2019 were detached from the formation net. And that means he's, he's in a two-point stance. He's either on the boundary or he's in the slot. And Cameron Wolf said the expect, his expectation, based on what he knows in this Changeli offense, is that Gusecki's going to be playing a lot of the big slot role. Uh, which is good because that's where he found so much success. You can move Mike around. You can put him in the backfield uh, kind of off the line of scrimmage and, and move him across the formation either before the snap or at the snap to fold into the flats. Uh, he's never going to be a guy who thrives with his hand in the dirt, and that's fine. And the fact that we have this Changeli horizontal modern spread is – Something that I think will actually aid him because Gailey has a track record. My co-host of Draft Dudes, Joe Marino, has talked about the size that they had when Chan Gailey was in Buffalo. And then you think about some of the size that they had at wide receiver when Chan Gailey was in New York with Decker and Brandon Marshall. And they like having size. And they've got Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, Mike Isecki. They've got plenty of size. I think they need to make sure they focus on complementing that size with the right kinds of speed guys and, and yak guys, run after catch guys, whether that's pass catchers out of the backfield, readdressing the Albert Wilson situation. Uh, by the way, he's either getting restructured or he's getting cut because his cap hit this year is like $10.5 million. It ain't going to happen. So there's lots of dominoes to fall. Free agency opens here in about three weeks. The NFL Combine is this week, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that I've got all the information that you guys need to be as educated as possible about this critical offseason for the Dolphins as they look to reclaim this and rebuild this roster. Not just to what it was a few years ago, but back to like the historical success of this franchise that this team knew for so long until after Dan Marino retired and then everything changed. That's the bar. We're not looking to go 9 and 7 and make the playoffs. This team used to compete for championships routinely. And that's the goal and that's why you're seeing this drastic rebuild with so much ambition because it takes big ambition like this to get this done when the Dolphins were so mired for so long for multiple decades and just kind of being a mediocre football organization. I'm Kyle Krabs, signing off for Locked On Dolphins. Thank you guys for listening. Come back tomorrow. Hit subscribe. Make sure you swing over to Drive Time. Check out Drive Time with Travis Wingfield, uh, part of the Miami Dolphins Locked, uh, Podcast Network. Big change for him. Looking forward to seeing Travis today. I'm going to tell, you guys, tell him you guys have been great. I'm going to tell him the house is in tip-top shape, taking care of everything. So I'm sure he'll be glad to hear that. And I am certainly looking forward to talking to you guys again tomorrow.